Good afternoon. Welcome to our Talent and Growth webinar. Back after a one-week hiatus, I took a bit of time off last week, and happy to be back in the roundtable um, with Martin and Holly, and soon, hopefully, to join us, Emma, who I know is finishing up a meeting. Um, I'm also the co-founder of the Anemo Group, as well as the, the host of Talent and Growth. Talent and Growth. We have a podcast every Tuesday. Uh, we run a live webinar every Tuesday, and that podcast goes out on a Thursday. So, thank you for tuning in. Whether you're live on the webinar crew today, or if you are catching up on the podcast, like many of you are. And today, we're, we're going to be going through. Uh, onboarding schemes, um, how to make them work, how they should look, what are the, the pitfalls to avoid. And onboarding, as we know, is so, so important. Mark, you know, you and I spoke about this at length a couple of years ago, didn't we? And it's still just yeah. so, so relevant. Um, in boarding, onboarding schemes, uh, getting them right can be the difference between whether you have you maintain a happy and excited candidate all the way through that journey with them working in your business. So it's important we get it right. Um, and uh, I'm glad to have you all here today to talk around it. So let's just go go around and give some intros, if that's okay. So uh, Martin, do you want to introduce who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, thank, first of all, thanks for welcoming me back, Paul. Um, looking forward to the, the lively debate I'm sure we're going to have. Martin Nicholson, I run a business called ProAction HR. We're an HR consultancy looking at all things to add value to organisation. So our, our recent, uh, our why, our purpose, is all about helping organisations thrive through the value, uniqueness and quality of their people. Fantastic. Thanks, Martin. Holly, intro for you, if that's okay. Sure. Hi, everyone. Really glad to be here. This is my first time around, so bear with me. I'm I'm a novice here, but uh, not uh, new to sort of speaking in, in general. Um, I am the head of Talent or HR at Black Sun, and, which is a part of the Positive Change Group. We are a stakeholder engagement um, agency, so dealing with all different ways businesses try to make positive change in their organizations from all their different stakeholders. So I'm um, really excited to be here and talk about onboarding. Appreciate it. Thanks for being with us, Holly. And in the nick of time, Emma, how are you doing? Do you mind giving us a little intro on who you are and, and what you do? Hi. Yeah, sorry. I just got here in time, didn't I? Um, so mm -hmm. I'm the Chief People Officer at System One. We are a marketing um, company that has a platform that tests ads, ideas and brands. And then we also provide consultancy on top of that to help um, people to make those more effective and to get an excellent ROI. Um, and onboarding has been a really big topic for us because we've been transitioning from um, a more traditional though online um, agency to um, a platform business. And so we've had to kind of change the way that we work. And so it's been really important for us not to just think about onboarding, but actually also the term everboarding of how do we bring existing people along that journey, along with the additional people that are joining the company. So really, really pleased to be joining today. Everboarding, love that. Well, let, let, let's start. I, I touched on the on the whys at the beginning, Emma, but let's stay with you. So, what, why is this so important? Why is it a well-designed onboarding process crucial for employee success and employee success and retention, in your opinion? Yeah, so it's particularly important for us because we want to make sure that people that are coming into the business are having the experience of the business that we want to be the future rather than necessarily um, receiving an onboarding from perhaps working with um, some existing colleagues who perhaps might be training in what might ne necessarily be the best practice of the future. So that's that's the kind of an extra kind of 
an added importance for us at the moment. Um, but just generally, um, I mean, there's a lot of research around how people form their bonds and their experience of the company very soon on joining, even from in fact before they've even joined on that first day, the experience they have of um, working with their manager, kind of, you know, we send them out books to say how excited we are to have them joining. And, you know, we try and have that kind of really upfront bit. And then that onboarding is so important in both in terms of developing relationships fully understanding the business, the business that we want to be for the future, as well as the business we are now, so that they're joining with all of that, you know, information and are able to get up and speed, up to speed and running as soon as possible. Fantastic. Absolutely agree with that. And Martin, what, what do you think around the importance of onboarding and how it's involved with the rise of remote working? Of course, we may be going a little bit backwards now, but let's let's assume we're staying in this world of remote working. What, what do you think? Well, I think we're still in a in a state of confusion, right? I think I think I remember saying in 2020, the future of work is going to be at least five years from, from now to determine because I think it has to settle and has to has to rethink. But we're definitely seeing that 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 trend back towards the office, sadly. Um, but I think from an onboarding perspective, I think we can get so caught up and the, the best systems in the world are, are brilliant, but the human touch, the interaction is, is so critical. A recent case study for me has been uh, with a client looking at their belonging. So actually, people don't just go to do a job. They go to be part of something. To what degree? It depends on your own personal position and where you are in your career. But they want to be part of something much larger, generally speaking. If you're not investing time in the organisation, what it stands for, and buying into that through your onboarding process, then you're missing a huge trick. And that is a huge element. I've got the stats to prove it. A huge element in the retention of staff. So, um, so for me, that's one I'm so passionate about it, getting it right in the first place and investing in that creates commercial return, right? I mean, let's just put the, put it on the bottom line. It creates value to the organization. Have you got any stats you'd like to share? So I've, I've just done a, a, a recent piece of work with a, a mid-sized organization, 500 staff, um, geographically diverse. Um, and their sense of belonging, and they were acquired, they were through acquisitions. So it was always about different geographies. They had their own culture, their own way of being. That investment in what the organization stood for, they had no onboarding. They didn't have a consistent method. They didn't have an organization-wide corporate onboarding. So how are people learning about the organization, what it stands for? Why, why are you here, here now? And starting to, that everboarding that Emma referred to, starting to, to change people's mindsets towards the bigger entity, not the smaller one that they may maybe joined previously. To the extent that now we've got people in that organisation who've been there a couple of years going, I'd like to take part in the, onboard, the corporate onboarding because there's stuff there that I didn't know myself. It's only, a, it's only a half day type event, right? It doesn't have to be an exhaustive process. That's just one element. Um, that company has moved from circa 40% turnover of staff to it's going to trend this year at about 23, 25%. So it's about a third off, off certainly a comfortable third off their turnover figures. Just play that in, out in recruitment cost, in training cost, in agency fees. Uh, it's just a phenomenal amount from a commercial perspective. And it's not just the onboarding, there's a whole other range of elements we did. But onboarding was a key part of that, getting a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging into new start starters joining and then having existing staff saying, what about us, that everboarding piece that Emma talks about. 
Yeah, hundred percent with you. Massive difference that makes. And uh, for me, you know, it's about it's about maintaining that excitement and that engagement, right? You know, candidate gets the gets the job offer. You know, they they get get the contract through. They sign it. The excitement's up here. And then if you know if that if that it's really hard to keep it up here. By the way, it's really hard to maintain it. But you need to. And then if something goes wrong, whatever, then it drops down, and suddenly you've got a different candidate on your hands, and it can result in some of the uh, the costs that, that Martin alluded to. Um, Holly. Can you share some components of an effective pre-onboarding process and how can you adapt these strategies to cater to remote employees if we look at that side of it as well? Yeah, I think it sort of touches on both from the technology sides of things as well as the human interaction approach. I think it really is how do we create that, inter that perfect intersection of both? How do we provide them with enough of the things up front? So, of course, being HR professionals, we have all of our admin and paperwork and processes that need to be done ahead of time, which, you know, is fun sometimes for some people, but not necessarily what keeps the excitement up that Martin mentioned. So how do you make sure that you engage with them? So something that I like to incorporate is not just hearing from us in the HR team, but also from the managers and from the people that they'll be working with on the team. So we've made an offer, they've verbally accepted, here manager, please send them a message saying how excited you are about them joining the team, you know, and what sort of the first few things that they're going to be looking forward to them joining with. Then it's getting the paperwork from us. So it's touch points that aren't so overwhelming. Here in the UK, there are a you know, a lot more notice periods are a lot longer. So there's a lot more time in which you sort of have from offer stage to actually starting. Whereas in places like the US, it's a, it's two weeks. So you don't need to do as much of that upfront because they'll be starting quite quickly. So how do you make sure that you adapt for your different regions as well from across the globe, um, depending on how things are going. But from a remote perspective, you know, you want to make sure that, that human interaction is is still there. It's a video chat rather than meeting in, in near the office for a coffee. Um, what are those what are those sorts of things look like and really get to know people? We also send something out as a part of the pre-onboarding um, bits, asking questions about themselves. So where did you grow up? What superpower would you have if you if you wanted to have, you know, if you wanted? Um, where is your next holiday? What do you feel luckiest about in your life? So that way, and that gets sent out to the whole business. So it's not just your team, but everybody then learns a little bit about you. So when you speak with somebody, um, they can say, oh, I just went to Croatia. I can give you some recommendations and tips if you want, which really provide that inter interaction piece and connectivity, which then balances out with all the paperwork that needs to happen at the same time. Yeah, love it. Thank you, Holly. Emma, anything to add around the key components for you of what effective onboarding looks like? Yeah, I think it's all been said. I mean, it is interesting how you need to um, provide people with that kind of structure because some managers will just automatically do that and reach out to people and say, well, I'm really excited about you joining and, and others won't think about it. So um, particularly, I think in the remote world where people are perhaps less likely to be, you know, dropping into the office or having met that person even in person, um, it's particularly helpful to, you know, provide a really kind of uh, intentional structure to make sure those things happen. Just, uh, just when Holly was talking, then it just made me think of uh, when I got into work in 2008 into recruitment and uh, the idea of onboarding. I don't think it, I don't know, it didn't exist in that world. It was just like my onboarding was right. There's your seat. Okay, cool. See you later. You know that was it pretty much. Um, so thankfully, thankfully we've moved on quite a bit now. Um, Sorry, Paul. Then, then he spent the first week trying to work out where your laptop was, right? 
Well, exactly. exactly. Well, I was just yeah, I was just told hit the phones, hit the phones. Um, Martin, how do you design an onboarding program that efficiently streamlines the process and actually keeps that excitement we're talking about and creates it? Yeah, look, I think I think Holly talks to to some of this in terms of this both between the systems, uh, getting the information up front from an HR angle, but having that engagement uh, at an individual level. I've worked with. Um, Similarly, I work with a recruitment team where actually they maintain contact through in addition to the manager. I think there's a there's an absolute imperative for the manager to be involved and, and in contact with and see it as their role. This is not, I, I like the, the kind of format of, of what the, Holly describes there as kind of an intentional process, but actually managers should know that it's part of their role from the moment that they want to make an offer that this person quite critical on day one. So I think it's the blend of the system. It's a blend of the human human interaction. It's getting, look, let's get to Holly's point. Let's get the boring HR stuff out of the way as soon, soon as possible so we can start them on day one um, on the fun and exciting. And then for me, I think it's also, and I think I've seen a lot of organizations, mid-sized organizations get confused with this. For me, day one is about sitting down with the manager and saying, what are what's the first month success look like? Let's actually help you with that. I help you understand what you're here to do. So you've done the interview process, right? And there's the great HR director joke about heaven and hell. But here you are in, in, in the real world, in the organization. Hopefully the interview was, was honest and, and open and clear, clear and transparent. But now you're on day one. What am I going to deliver for my first month? And if the manager can come with that level of clarity and communication and set up success, I think that speaks great volumes for me because you're already into some degree of direction some degree of coaching some degree of management uh, application from day one and people say kind of is day one just just about finding your feet and where the toilets are and where the coffee is you want to show your worth you're joining the organization to to show value there's nothing worse than sitting there twiddling your thumbs reading about the history you've done that a month ago that's why you join the organization it's a place you want to be so let's get them involved in meaningful objectives, not to the point that they're going to fail and make it, of course, achievable. Let's make it light, but give them something tangible they can get stuck into quite early on. I'm pretty sure Google do something around making sure everyone who joins is working on something meaningful within the first kind of six hours of joining the company, getting them kind of stuck in straight away. So, yeah, 100% of this makes sense. So that's the, it's the balance, isn't it, between meeting all the people they need to meet which they wouldn't normally do from month two, month three onwards, and doing something meaningful as well. It's that balance between the two. Yeah, agreed. And and, and sticking with that point, um, Holly, um, in terms of that setting goals and those that performance management element, which is, which goes in line with the expectation side, what strategies do you think are the most effective during onboarding? Yeah, I think it's my my. All my always go-to answer is it depends. But when you're trying to, um, you know, put something together for people with, you want to make sure, as as Martin was saying, you want to make sure that they're meaningful, but they're also achievable. Um, you, you want to sort of not have you need to meet with fifty people, you know, all of these fifty people within your department globally within the first month. That's just not something that one anybody is going to enjoy, or two that they're going to find, you know. Um, successful or, or what they're going to be able to do for that. So it's sort of having about, I would say, five to six meaningful goals for the first three months. 
we like to send them with the onboarding in general so they can read them before they start. So they already know what their expectations are for the first three months. And then once they come in, having regular catch-ups and check-ins with their manager about the progress on those. But I think from a, you know, a probationary specifically goal point of view is what's something that's specific to their job? How do we make sure that they're getting the things that will you know, allow for them to be quick to contribution in those sorts, in that sort of space. But then also, you know, what are they learning more about the business? So it's not just their role specific. So getting into the minutia and the detail, but also the getting to know the broader business. So they don't feel like, especially in a remote world, that they feel like they're operating in isolation or a silo where they don't know what the rest of the business is doing. So it's sort of striking that that balance as well as Emma sort of talked about this future with the ever boarding, but also seeing themselves for the future growth of the business. What are they doing in those moments that set them up for after for afterwards? How long for you does the onboarding last, Holly? So I would say from a probationary perspective, it's normally about three months, but we like to say that we're taking somebody through their first year. Uh, we want to make sure that we're seeing people through that, through that process and a successful pre-boarding and then probationary period, we find much more success for the rest of those nine months. Gotcha. Thanks, Holly. Um, Emma, what's a good way or, or, or strategy to engage with cross-functional teams in the onboarding process? So let's talk in person and remotely. What, what works for you, do you yeah. think? I mean, we're a global organization and so the remote um, process kind of works well for us and it kind of simplifies things almost doing most things remotely but encouraging people to come together to form relationships so we very much have the human touch but delivered through the technology so although we do use some kind of you know form of videos that are self-serve most of it is done you know face to face but through teams so having those kind of online meetings with people around the world um and uh, we we kind of have um three kind of players involved in setting up the process. So we had the manager absolutely critical and the manager is responsible for um, setting those probationary objectives, which will then turn into ongoing objectives. And, um, and then we have um, HR, of course, doing the things that um, everybody needs to know across the business, not just the systems, but also thinking about we say, for example, we have a, a one welcome meeting because we're system one and we have the CEO, myself and the founder on that to talk about the history of the company, the future of the company and kind of have a really kind of close interactive experience with each set of new joiners but then we also involve um the we have like a head of learning and development what well, that's not a, a whole job it's a role of somebody within each department to talk about what are the things that that the new starter needs to know about the department and then um as part of that we then also make sure that we're having introductions to every of every one of the departments that they'll need to work with across the business even if they don't need to work with them very often just to get an understanding of what it is that they do and when they would need to work with them and just to know who they are people as well have that kind of meeting and we structure those monthly so that it's not onerous for the individuals to you know facilitate and and take part in but then we have the new joiners coming in on, on a cycle and um you know holly was saying about that they consider the, the first three months probationary and then kind of the, the the whole year but we actually are a little bit different and because we're still trying to bring up to speed some of the people who've been in the business longer in terms of the things that are constantly changing once we get past that kind of three months probationary period they're really just part of the overall group who are still always constantly learning because we are changing a lot there's this constant need for um serving up new information making sure that people really fully understand their roles in delivering the strategy so they kind of 
fall into that that wider group and we have quite a lot of um fairly recent employees as well as some really long-serving employees that sometimes they're the ones who get even more confused because things have changed so much from when they first joined the company to to what it's like now and we want to make sure that they're they're keeping up with the changes and how often do you review that onboarding process uh, well we get feedback all the time so we're literally mm. like kind of live reviewing it all the time um in terms of doing like a full kind of end-to-end -end review um probably annually but because we're constantly reviewing it we're constantly adapting it um it's yeah it's always it's always being tweaked and improved yeah gotcha and, and martin in, in terms of i suppose just looking at that length of what that onboarding program should be and how does it vary, I suppose, across the organisations you work with typically and also in terms of across the roles, the different teams and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it uh, it always depends on the complexity of the organisation. Is it all remote in Emma's case? Is it uh, office based? Are there different offices in the case of the example I gave earlier, sort of seven or eight different uh, UK based offices bringing people together, both via teams and in person? Um, for me, I don't think... Uh, I don't see a distinct difference between one role type and another and the length of onboarding. I think predominantly, um, if you're talking about probation and chances of successfully achieving a performance level for the sign of probation, well, typically a probation is an organization-wide view. It's usually a three-month or a six-month that's typical, typically used in the UK. So I, I, yes, some, some roles are more difficult to get to a, a level of competence in that period or, than others. But I don't see onboarding being different by function necessarily. I see it see it being a consistent basis in organisations. To Holly's point, I think it very much depends on the organisation type and, and how you perceive it. I'd love to know more about how Emma continues the everboarding for for existing staff. Actually, is that lunch and learn type type philosophies and uh, other sort of learning learning approaches. But I think um, in general, yeah, it's usually that sort of three month period. Uh, we mustn't forget it starts before they start. So it's probably four and a half, half months in, in totality, typically. Um, and I don't see it as people dropping off the edge of the cliff. You know, they've passed probation at three months and that's it. If we're really managing people, we should be understanding where, where their gaps are at the end of probation, right? You've done enough to prove your worth in this role. How else can we help you perform even better? Or actually, I... I I still don't know enough about how finance interacts with my department. Right. How do we get you to go and understand that better? But I don't think it is a solid point in time where everyone is is through the onboarding process necessarily. But but most organizations automatically revert revert to a ongoing management of. And there is this kind of feeling that the onboarding is finished. I think it's um, yeah really important point that of course the onboarding starts before they start and often we get um, three month notice periods very often so for the moment someone accepts that job and signs that contract it could be a three month wait. I was working with a company last year and um, the, the candidates were messaging me a week before they started after having like a two month notice saying we haven't heard anything what's actually happening on our first day and that's just when we're talking about this excitement level going down it's like hang on what's going on so having something the longer the onboard, longer the, the notice period, uh, the more thorough you need to be with the onboarding, and more you need to be checking in because all it takes is someone to give give the right call at the right time to that person, and they may have their head turned and be looking elsewhere. Emma, do you want to um, elaborate on the everboarding side? Yeah, sure. No, is there kind of the like the lunch and learn things? Although we don't actually do lunch and learns that often now because um, 
well, we just do them at different times of the day, partly because they're global, but essentially, yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, you can bring your food and eat it if you want to. Um, but we have sessions that are, um, some of them are optional to participate in. If you think you need to join them, others are mandatory because we know that like people need to join them even if they think that they don't um, and then we also um, sometimes depending on how important they are provide them as a recording and then check that people are actually participating so that we can be sure that that information is really landing we've just introduced a new platform actually um, called lms365 which um, bolts onto our team's um, experience and that allows us to do things like i said ping, uh, putting up quizzes so that we can actually test the knowledge that people have gained from the training that we're delivering and we can also do things like for the commercial teams get them recording themselves doing a pitch so that the uh, their manager and even the ceo sometimes can review how well people are then representing the company and is there, is there anything else or lms 365 is there any other piece of the technology that your business are using to help because you mentioned about the role of technology and the role of make but obviously enabling mm. that, that human side as well any other tech that helps you get that onboarding right um, so we stick, I mean, we use the Microsoft suite. So we, we use SharePoint, we use Teams, we use LMS 365 now, which is a, a bolt onto that. Um, but I mean, it's we're using the tech to facilitate the human interaction with the group of people that we have globally, um, rather than relying on the tech. And what we're trying to avoid is anything that's going to make the process seem clunky or onerous or a checkbox exercise. So, um, and we're also, we're, uh, you know, we've, we're 150 people um, in the company, so we don't need to keep a track of exactly what everybody is doing because we've got thousands of people that you can't possibly talk to or, you know, think about more humanly in terms of succession planning or whatever it might be. So we try not to do too much kind of onerous stuff on the on the tech side or on the kind of compliance side. Gotcha. Holly, any, anything on your side around technology and the role it can play? Anything, any suggestions of things you use that work well? Yeah, so we try to use our HRIS system, so the HR information systems, to our advantage as much as possible, especially for those sort of admin bits, so outside of the offer letter and contracts, but all of the other things that are necessary. So that way, not only is it one system for the candidate and new joiner to experience, but also it translates to their experience once they're on, you know, once they're in the business, they can review it, they can see it, it all lives there in one place for them, um, which makes that really easy. Um, we're updating and doing a brand new intranet, which will be much more dynamic and they'll be able to then go through and we'll be able to track sort of similarly, Emma, what you were saying about seeing who's participating in the different sessions. At the moment, everything for us is live. Um, we're looking to get to a little bit more certain things being asynchronous learning, but we want to be able to track how do people navigate that? So through a new intranet and SharePoint system, we're hoping to be able to do a little bit more of that. So it's that blended piece. Um, but yeah, those are the systems that we're using for the moment. And Martin, anything to add on the tech side? Yeah, I would kind of jump in a bit further and say if, if uh, organizations are using engagement tools, um, then consider finding a way, hopefully the system you've got will provide it, finding a way of cutting and dicing that information to look at new joiners. Uh, we're looking with one client, we're looking at new joiners by the, the, by the calendar of the month and what their feedback on the overall engagement we're also sending surveys directly to them about their onboarding experience. So we can see literally where one month has had a fantastic experience, right? Why did the next month not? Um, is it the individuals? Is it something about the process? What, what went awry? And this point about onboarding generally being a continuous evolving process, absolutely. Um, that organization was, was giving managers 
the the need the demand really to create departmental type type presentations and intros and for them to continuously improve it the big key here is don't hide behind the technology right don't use powerpoint um, death by powerpoint and, and lose people's interest paul you're doing that all all the time about people's expectations you, you join the organization you're excited don't lose their excitement so keep it real keep it keep it involved keep people uh, enthused by it so no 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 powerpoint or as much interaction as you possibly can i love the quizzes idea from emma um, yeah. yeah sorry just fun. yeah Sorry, just also thinking about that. We do our engagement surveys as well, but Martin, it's really interesting. We've migrated from doing them at month one to then month two to try and track what that looks like. Yeah. But it's interesting that you do them still at the same point. You know, you just keep doing them at the same points, month one, month two, and almost then month three to track no, their experience. No, no sorry, actually. I, oh, no, I, you don't I, do it that way. position that wrong. So, so we can look at the calendar month of new starters the next time we run the engagement survey, and we can track mm. where their engagement is improving or worsening and the effect of okay. that. But in an on, on an onboarding questionnaire, we can actually determine what they felt their onboarding experience was at month one, three, and six. So we oh, okay. start to see at what point in this retention issue does their engagement drop? Does their desire, mm -hmm. does their experience not quite suit? Fantastic. Yeah, I, I was going to mention as well. Let me just bring my hand up here again. So, um, with the uh, with I, I was doing something similar for a client last year, and we did we did we did the surveys after month one, and most of them stayed up here. But we when we got to month three, there was a big drop off. Uh, maybe forty percent of people really declined. I guess it's maybe a bit of the honeymoon period over, and then it's kind of that those expectations perhaps haven't been met. Um, so, the, and we were able to track that, and we were able to reverse engineer and say, okay, what's happening here? So, um, definitely worth doing. Um, I mentioned a couple of. Uh, negative onboarding experiences one for myself where i was just showing my chair and not introduced to anybody um i talked to anyone about a, the client who had um people not understanding what was happening a week before they started what was going on do you do we have any other uh Martin, i'll go back to you actually what do you have any other kind of common pitfalls or mistakes you see uh in businesses uh that companies typically can get it wrong and are so important not to I mean, as soon as you're asking the question, I'm, I'm laughing at it. I made a joke about it earlier. Of it took you a week to find your laptop. Mm. There is nothing worse than a, a badly run system for, for the support side of a business. If you know you're going to have X number of new starters in the next year, then you should have the process set up to, to support that. Why? In actual facts and feedback I got recently on providing a client you're hiring senior people. Why aren't you providing a laptop two weeks before? Actually, giving them, giving it before. Right? Why does it have to be day one? Good challenge. Really good challenge. But actually, that whole everything else could be slick, but it only takes one magic moment to kind of kill the whole experience. To your point about month three, it, it, there's something going on there. Why do you let your systems and your provision of of internal support damage that? Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just, it's such an easy one because you still hear it in the, in organizations, you still hear about that. Yeah, I got my laptop, but I haven't got a password. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just nuts, right? And, and it, it's just a feeling. It may not be that we want you to do any work that morning because you're in full of meetings anyway, but I still don't have my kit. It doesn't feel right. And people can make big judgments over those small things, can't they? It takes one little moment.
Yeah. Emma, anything that you've seen, experienced or uncovered perhaps in the last few years from your own feedbacks in terms of things you thought, OK, that was something we need, need to change or we can't do because that's given them a negative experience? Um, yeah, so it's really important to people that they are set up well in advance, like they want to be able to get running on day one. So definitely like we do now, we have actually moved um, forward our sending out of equipment. Um, and sometimes we do have senior people that are like, I want to start getting engaged with the company before I join you because they can, because they're remote. And so it's easy for them to do that. So sometimes we, you know, we'll have people start to join occasional meetings or give them access to our um, SharePoint before they join. Um, obviously making sure that we're not giving them access to customer information or anything we shouldn't be doing, but, you know, managing that carefully. Um, so that's something we changed, making sure that it's like a really seamless experience so they get that laptop well set up in time and everything works well. Um, and then the other thing that people were consistently feeding back was the desire to be combining learning with doing. So um, we we try to set our objectives based around kind of learning objectives and things we want them to have experienced. So we'll give them a challenge to say, we want you to complete this learning objectives and present back to us. Um, you kind of with 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 some support and structure, you go away and figure out how best to do that. So it's kind of engaging them in actually going out and actively doing something as well as us kind of feeding them that learning experience so that seems to have worked quite nicely perfect thanks Emma. and holly anything for you that stands out as the the not to do's yeah i think the kit has already been mentioned so i i, I won't go into that one but i think it's also martin touched on this earlier but the manager presence or a team member presence especially if they're coming into the office to collect their kit having somebody here on site with them to walk them through the day to take them out to lunch to have that sort of interaction piece if they come in and we're asking them to come in for that piece. Remote is obviously a little bit different, but is having then somebody in the team being their partner and buddy with them in, in that first day experience. You know, showing up day one and sitting in an empty room also doesn't exactly build that excitement any further. Yeah, and actually reminds me of a, a client I was working with last year, and I was actually there uh, on their on their uh, the first day of a, of a candidate I placed with them, and uh, and I came in. I I had an early lunch because I had a, uh, a phone call. I've come in, and the the whole company have gone out for lunch, and he's kind of sat there eating a sandwich on his own. I was like, oh, what's going on? He said, oh, I don't know. I don't know where everyone went. And because the company was so used to just all just having this in, informal kind of, okay, so you all go and get some lunch now. And I think maybe he was in the toilet or something. And it wasn't communicated that everyone was doing it. So these poor guys kind of sat there eating their sandwich on his own. So um, the, again, and these little these are little things, little mistakes, but they make that difference. They just bring that reading right back down. Um, another thing I was going to mention as well, for me, the biggest pitfall I've seen uh, around onboarding is that, one personal department doesn't own onboarding for me like anything although it's, it's part of everyone's responsibility the high managers the team members whatever somebody has to own those checkpoints i think it was really really important and for me i always say if, if, if everybody owns it nobody owns it so i think somebody needs to take that ownership of it um i suppose final question for me um was just this i suppose just the success rates and how we can know we've got an effective onboarding program uh what kpis we've found to be the most valuable and identifying areas. Martin, I'll go back to you. What, what, what do you think? Um, no, nothing better than going and having a conversation. If you've got a corporate onboarding day or event or a Teams-based event, even even Emma's reference to kind of CEO being on, on a call with all new starters, ask them direct question. Um, ask for, for honest feedback. Send a survey as well to back that up if you wish. Um, 
And then the final point for me is it's all about retention and you can break retention rates down by length of service. That's the critical factor. That should be driving a, we have a problem or not. Yeah, agreed. Emma, what, what, what for you in terms of that success monitor? Yeah, I mean, I think a build on that is that you obviously want to be retaining people who are being successful in your business. So um, you also, I kind of, we, we kind of approach it 360. So we ask the manager if, you know, the person is up and speed in meeting their objectives. We'll ask people like peers and um, people around that individual, even, you know, if they're a manager, their reports um, for feedback on how they're, they're getting on. Um, and then, of course, we will talk to them directly ourselves as well and see how they found the experience, ask for feedback. Um, it's quite difficult getting negative feedback, I found, unless we've just got an amazing process um, in the beginning. But things you have to keep asking because things will come out over time and they'll suddenly realise there's something that they didn't learn about that they should have. So you can't just ask once because they're bound to in the beginning want to kind of be putting, putting on that like bright shiny face. Yeah, everything's great. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for having me in the company. So you have to really keep going and like, no, really, we really do want to know if there's something we can improve. We really do want to make it better uh, for you and for the other people. So we try and do that um, regularly um, and, um, uh, you know, specific intervals of like the end of the, during the three months, at the end of the three months, and then maybe at six months and even like after a year. I think it's a really interesting point, actually. It leads me to another question because, uh, some people don't want to say something negative. Some people may have had the worst onboarding experience in the world, but it might not be a little bit concerned about piping up about it and, and sharing what they feel. Do you have any uh, advice on the questions which would lead you to truly honest answers, Emma, in your experience at work? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we start off by giving them an opportunity to be positive. So we ask what's working well, what should we continue to do? And we have kind of um, a, a format for feedback in the company, which is what's working well, what could, what would make it even better. So you're not suggesting necessarily that there's a problem you're saying what would improve it it's kind of a nicer way to be able to say to give some feedback um and so we tend to do that um as a reflective thing and then we, we we're trying we're still trying to improve this but building that feedback culture so that everybody across the business is asking for feedback on themselves you know senior people asking junior people for feedback to make it feel really comfortable and then to see that when they actually suggest something that they get an immediate action to that suggestion and it gets followed up and delivered for them um that and they they will experience this even you know that people coming into the business they talk to people in the business well they start to quickly get a, a sense of the culture and whether this is a place where you can be honest and give feedback and you know in our in our one welcome session with the ceo like even in that session um it's a very open transparent session we talk about the concept of um elephants in the room so those things that everybody in the organization might know it's there but nobody talks about it because it's kind of like awkward because everybody knows it um, as a new person coming in, you see something for the first time, you're in that perfect position to be able to say, hang on a minute, why, why are you doing it this way without it coming across as being rude or awkward? So we try and really try and encourage that. And we do have some really interesting sessions with, you know, people who've just joined the company, even in very junior positions, being comfortable piping up and saying, well, I've noticed that, you know, I can't really understand from your website what exactly it is that you're doing at your business or um, why is it that you um, don't have like debrief sessions at the end of a development sprint or, you know, things that um, they just noticed and they're like, why is that not happening? And then we immediately go away and, and act on those suggestions so they feel like they've been heard. Yeah, I love all that. Um, yeah, some really good advice there on the questions. I, I think um, 
I think one I I ask is um, if you could if you had a magic wand and you could change just one thing about the order onboarding process to make sure the next person had an even better experience than you, what would it be? Um, and sometimes that, that opens things up. But yeah, it's all about the, the frame as you said. Um, Holly, final final question, just to you back to you really. Just to, anything else that kind of helps you measure the success of the onboarding programs that people should look out for. I think that uh, I'm going to sort of dual dual answer this question. I think it's also in the setup of the recruitment process. So how are you setting up your recruitment process, asking the right questions to get the right people through the door so that way when they're doing their probationary targets and they're going through that process, we're bringing in the right people, they're successfully going to manage and be able to deliver on those targets and then go, you know, then grow and develop with the organization as it's an ongoing. But I think from just the onboarding perspective, I think it's really, you know, going back to Eminence or Martin's points is really asking the questions and not being afraid to say, you know what, this person hasn't worked out or I'm not feeling quite right in this role. That's the great part about a probationary period. It's a trial on both sides. Is this what I signed up for? Are you the person that was right for this role? So I think it's also being okay with if it didn't work, being able to have that honest conversation. Of course, the time and energy and everything, you want it to be successful, but being able to have that honest conversation about it because it is, once you go on that point, you're then reinvesting yourself in the process. So I think it's it's just having really the, the honest conversations about it and seeing where it goes from there. Um, and then it's really the retention piece after that point and making sure that we're creating the probation provided the foundation for their growth as they go forward perfect thank you so much well i think that wraps up our conversation and a bit of a blueprint there around what good onboarding looks like and what sometimes what bad onboarding looks like as well so thank you to our speakers thank you for listening today um join us next week we're going to be throwing around some ideas around um, how to look after our employees well-being always always an important topic uh, but martin holly emma thank you so much for lending your advice and expertise today thank you so much for having me thanks paul thanks for having us thanks see you everyone thank bye. you everyone bye, bye.